turn once again to the book of Acts, reminding ourselves that our overarching theme this year is next, what God is doing next, where we need to be next, and who we or I need to see next. So remember, in the fall, we began to look at what God was doing next beyond the work of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit and what that meant in his redefining a new dimension to what he wanted to do spiritually through us. This winter, we're looking where I need to be next, what this means for me in my personal life, the life of this message that we're supposed to be touching people with. And there are three areas that we're looking at. Uh, in January, February, and March. Pain, promise, and then change. And really, this is the way it worked, even from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they created this problem of pain. We fell. We became victims of our own rebellion. Out of that situation, God made a promise. And he has been carrying out that promise ever since. And in all of that comes the change that he wants to bring in our lives. Now, as we finished up this discussion of uh, pain in January, I introduced you two weeks, two weeks ago to a very important connection between Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 8, verse 1. I hope you've marked those. They're very important verses. This connection is essential for us to see. As we see the greater intention of God's purpose in pain, it very nicely segues into promise. The persecution that started in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, is rooted in the promise of chapter 1, verse 8. A persecution brought, broke out against all the believers in Jerusalem, and they were scattered into Judea and Samaria. That is rooted in the promise that the Lord made in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that is one way for us to look at the rest of Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 40, all the way through the end of the chapter. If pain has a purpose, then that means there is promise. There's more to come, greater things that God has in store, and this chapter is going to help us uh, see that more. Now, I hope this wasn't lost on you even last week. We stepped back last week, having a special Sunday, to refocus on our greater mission, why we exist as a church, and touching all people with God's message. Even in the lesson that we learned from Abraham, believing God, that was about promise. And here is what I want you to get. Placed before Abraham was an opportunity to believe. There is a response side to the promise, and that is opportunity. God makes a promise. And that implicitly has another side to it that's our side. We can respond to that opportunity. We have an opportunity that we can seize when it presents itself. And this is what we see 
in the rest of Acts, the seizing of opportunities when they present themselves. Because God is a God of promise, He is at work, and we have the opportunity to respond to what He's doing. Now, this gets very, very practical, of course. Do what I said you should. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, means it's time to act. It's time to do something about that. That's why this historic account is called Acts. And Acts gives us some important examples of how then to respond to the opportunities, how to act. Primarily, they are examples of how to do it right. But there can also be examples of how to do it wrong as well. And that's what we find in these shining examples in Acts chapter 8. Philip is a shining example of how to do it right. Simon is an example of how not to do it. And we can learn from both of these. Uh, But as I show you this, uh, it's important for us to add context, seeing the whole picture that is so important to this practical understanding of how we're supposed to respond to the opportunities that God has given us. Now, I want to ask you a very honest question. Don't answer out loud, but I imagine your faces will tell me the answer. Honestly, now. Do you ever tire of my review of the teaching that I do, of my uh, uh, setting uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the situation explaining the broader picture, trying to make sure that you understand any particular passage in a broader context. I imagine you do. I imagine sometimes that gets like, well, wait a minute, you said that last week. I know. Would you hurry up and get to your point for today? The time's running out. Believe me, this is essential for understanding how we are practically supposed to act on the opportunities that the Lord gives us, how we are to obey this God that we trust. It's extremely important, and this passage will show us that. So, let me show you what I mean. Luke, remember, the author of Acts, is writing to his friend Theophilus, a Greek, so that he can know the certainty of what he has been taught In other words, get it right. He's very meticulous. He's a physician. He's a scientist. He's organized. He's a detail man, and he wants to make sure that Theophilus understands it so he gets it right. I shouldn't do this, but I often quote a man that worked for my father. He was famous for saying, facing an opportunity, there's a lot of ways to get this wrong. And life can be that way, can't it? It's just there's a lot of opportunities to get it wrong. So we want to make sure we get it right. Now, I realize that's a bit of a pessimistic approach to life, and I don't necessarily ascribe to all of that. But this passage today shows us that very, very practically. Philip is acting obediently and correctly. Simon is so easily getting this wrong. So let's start with Simon to make sure, as far as the passage is concerned, that we get this right. Simon. He already has an ego problem and a power fetish, wouldn't you say? I mean, when people are walking around saying, this is the one known as the great power, 
You know, this, this guy was ruling his little dominion there. And then that shows up again even after he believes in verses 18 and 19. He sees the power of Philip, the apostle, and his ability to do these amazing things. And he believes. And then when uh, the others come and the Holy Spirit comes after they pray, well, then he wants that. He wants that power. He wants that ability. He's willing to even buy it. Implication. We still all have our stuff, don't we? We come out of wreckage, pain, problems. We find a forgiving God. We find forgiveness and healing and meaning and purpose and new life. We're new creatures. But we bring some stuff with us, don't we? We still got our stuff. Now, I'm going to return to that in a minute, but some of us need to recognize how much stuff we've still got. Some of us have walked this path for a long time, and we think we're a little better maybe than we are. And yet, until we get to glory, we're not going to be fully freed from all of our stuff. We've got our baggage, and we need to recognize that, and we're going to see even how he responds to that. Some of us need to recognize that God's expectation is not perfection. Some of us are so beaten down by our stuff, by these things that linger from our past, that raise their ugly heads, that we're demoralized, that we're defeated, and we don't feel like we measure up. Well, newsflash, you never will measure up. (laughs) That's what grace is all about. And you need to recognize that the Lord is not setting a standard of perfection. Rather, He is working on completion. He's not done with you. He wants to work in and through you. In fact, many times in the New Testament, the actual word perfect means complete. It means he is continuing to complete in you what he has begun. So already from Simon, we can learn a little lesson about ourselves. Then Simon gets corrected by Peter in verses 20 and 23. It's pretty major words here. May you perish uh, with your money. You have no share in any of this. And he goes on. Well, this is a good place to put the apostles in context. Verse 23 Peter looks at him and says, I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. This is the same kind of insight that Peter had in Acts chapter 5 when he was dealing with Ananias and Sapphira. And he was able to see right into the heart and the intentions of Ananias and ask him about his offering, and he drops dead. And then when his wife walks in, he's able to say, and you're about to drop dead too. Remarkable insights. Here's the bigger picture. Because what are you supposed to do with a passage like What are you supposed to do with a passage like that? Are we supposed to do that nowadays? Is it my job on Sunday mornings to look around and go, hmm, who's dying this morning? Is, is, what are we supposed to do with the passage? Here's the, the, the bigger picture. Let's understand the reality of this. The apostles were gifted in very special ways with special abilities. 
the greater context helps us understand this. We see Philip, even in this passage, doing miraculous signs and wonders. Wonders, People are being healed. Demons are being driven out. We've seen this in Peter and John, who show up in the passage in Acts chapter 2, where they're healing, they're speaking in languages that they've never spoken in before. And in this passage, there's a very special situation regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is an exceptional time. Just like... These were exceptional gifts that these apostles had. The coming of the Holy Spirit after the conversion of individuals at a subsequent time happens here and no other place in Scripture. If you don't understand the broader picture of it, you misunderstand this passage to believe that a moment in time you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and become a child of His, and at a subsequent moment you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's easily misunderstood by this passage. Yet this is the only passage that says that. Every other indication would show us that a person, when they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, are then filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, regenerated by that Spirit, sealed by that Spirit, and become a new creature. Only here does this happen. Well, why does it happen here? For very specific purposes. There's a two-way message that needs to take place. First of all, this happens this way to confirm for the apostles that the gospel was also for the Gentiles. As we understand the broader context of the book of Acts, we're going to see the struggle that these Jews had with the fact that the gospel really was for all people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria of all places, and to the uttermost parts of of the earth. And this moment in time was important for these apostles to see the work of God that had happened in their lives happen in the lives of these Gentiles. It was a message to them. These are my children as well, and I want you to see the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them in that way. <clears throat> and then it was also to confirm the apostles' power as, as God's instruments in the life of the people who were saved, to recognize that these are your spiritual leaders that I am using for this purpose. Now, what's also important in the broader context is as time progresses and the New Testament is written and distributed and the church progresses in its size and its presence, these extraordinary situations begin to diminish. And so do the miracles. Now, why is that important? Well, let's get practical. This is why, as your spiritual leader, or as one of the spiritual leaders in your life, I can't do miracles and make paralytics walk and speak in languages that I have never learned. As disappointing as that may be to you, as I see all the disappointment on your face, find consolation in this. I'm also not walking up to you and calling you out for, hmm, let's say, not having a heart right before God, as we read in the passage, or seeing that you are full of bitterness and sin. Wouldn't that have been a pleasant greeting for you, Bill, this morning? Oh, good morning, Bill. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. I see your heart is filled with bitterness and sin. <laughs> that have been a lovely greeting. Nor am I striking you dead for withholding some of what you promised you would give God. So there's just a little consolation for you. Do you see the importance of understanding 
how a single passage needs to be understood in the broader context of what Scripture teaches. And this just happens to be one of those passages that can be so easily misunderstood. So, what are some of the lessons that we can take out of this for, uh, as practical examples of doing it right or not? What opportunities do we have and how do we act on them? Here are a couple of opportunities that I see before us this morning out of this passage. First of all, we have an opportunity to learn. We have an opportunity to learn from the situation. God did some amazing things in establishing his church where the word of God was not fully present. They had the Old Testament, but they did not yet have the New Testament. He used these particular amazing signs and things uh, and events and healings to confirm his authority and his presence with his people and his power invested in certain individuals to accomplish those things. This becomes less prevalent where the church is established and the word of God is available. The more the the New Testament was written, the more it became diffused within the, the church, the more these particular miraculous signs began to diminish because God had accomplished what he wanted to and was then Uh, had given them the word of God. Now, I believe that some of these things still can happen. We do see some of these happen in, uh, in the world and around the world. And the understanding of that, if you put it in, if you understand it this way, is recognizing that in those places, usually, there is a lack of presence of the full word of God and the established church of Jesus Christ. And when those things do become solidified, the Bible becomes translated in their languages, the church becomes established in those places, these miraculous things tend to happen less and less because God has then given us his word and his church. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do such amazing things at first and then not do them later? Because he wants us to trust him and what he says and not just amazing things that happen. He wants us to lean on him and not just look for the amazing solutions or miracles or the easy way out. I find that one of the many certainties about our God is that we cannot predict how he works. We can simply know that he works and that his purposes are good. Haven't you found that? Have you ever had times in your lives when, when you're li- in your life when the Lord led and directed you in a certain way and it was just unmistakable, it was just so amazing, it was just so clear, it was almost miraculous. And then the next time you run into a situation where you need the same kind of guidance, it doesn't seem to happen exactly the same way, but rather the Lord calls on you to depend on Him more and to pray more and to seek his face more and maybe it's a little more subtle that time. I don't know if I've ever, I certainly have not seen the Lord lead me in any significant way in my life two times that were the same. They look different. The circumstances are different so that I will continue to seek him, trust him, lean on him and not try and predict what he does. He does it this way because he wants us to trust him. We just can't formulize his work. What we can do is know that he does work and that his purposes are good. So let's make sure that we're seeking God and his purposes and not just 
wonders and miracles. So we can learn from the situation. I think we can learn from Simon. What do we learn from Simon? Check your baggage. We've all got it. We've all got it. We've all walked in here with a a backpack full of something. That's why we try and cultivate around here a a culture of, of understanding, of grace, of love. It's why we believe that people need to be touched by God's message in every way. Because we all bring into this new life things from our old life. And they have their nasty habits of raising their heads from time to time. And we need to recognize that some of us have needs that are different from others. And that we all have our own needs. And we need to be understanding of each other in those regards. And instead of criticizing each other or looking down at each other, be sensitive towards the needs of others just like you want someone to be sensitive to your own weaknesses. So check your baggage. Be understanding towards others. Admit your need. Now that's not just an excuse to kind of keep living. I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. I just, you know, I got my problems. Leave me alone. Simon had a power fetish. He actually believed, tells us that, in verse 13, In 19, he got foolish again. And then in 24, he repents again. So admit your need. Allow people to speak into you. Be thankful that your pastor's not going to walk up and tell you you got a heart of bitterness and you're about to drop dead. But if someone else you know who loves you and cares about you might speak into your life and situation, be open to recognizing your need. And then I think there is an opportunity to lead. So there's an opportunity to learn in a couple of ways. There's also an opportunity to lead, and this we learn from Philip. You know, he did what he was told. He did what he was told. It's it's so obvious and it's so plain, but he just obeyed. Chapter 1, verse 8 said, You'll be by witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 8, verse 5, he goes to Samaria of all places who would have thought except for everybody that was in earshot of Jesus when he said that's where you're supposed to go I try and offer challenges every single Sunday coming out of the passages that we study because we all must be perpetually measuring our own actions and seeing whether we are obeying what we've been told to do. Continuing to act, continuing to seize the opportunities that God puts before us. We haven't learned it all. I don't care how many years you've been walking with this Savior. You think you're done yet? Nobody is. We don't know everything the Bible says. In so many ways, the more we dig, the more we find out we haven't learned, right? If we're honest. Philip did what he was told, and he continued to do what he was told. He's told to be a, a deacon and to serve alongside these widows. He was one of those, together with Stephen. 
And then a little while later, he's told to go here. And he's, we're going to see later in the chapter, he's told to go there. He just continues to obey and do what he's told. So we have to ask ourselves, what's next for you? Oh, no, I got my deal. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing my thing. Is that it? Does next exist in your vocabulary? Is there something else God wants you to do? We've got an opportunity to lead because that's what he did. He led by example. Peter and John get sent up there because they hear that the, the Holy Spirit is, has come. I mean, that these have been saved and, and they come and they pray and the Holy Spirit comes, but they've got to go up and check what's going on. Interesting what they do. On their way out of town, not in, they end up sharing the gospel in many places in Samaria. I think it's interesting. It doesn't say that. Oh, you know what? Hey, you know, hey, John, we, we got to go and check out what's happening because you know, this thing happened with Philip out there and these people, these Samaritans, oh, it's amazing. They seem to be saved. We better go check on them. But I'll tell you what, on the way, let's share the gospel as we go because we don't want to lose any opportunities. passage doesn't say that. They followed Philip. On their way back, they shared the gospel in many places in Samaria. I think he took them a place that they hadn't been before. They were struck by his example. They were the super apostles. And they said, you know what? If Philip's doing this, maybe we should too. Out of our pain that we create, God offers promise. And the active side of that promise for us is seizing the opportunities that he gives us. To learn, are you trusting him in your situation? Are you learning more about yourself and your own baggage that you've brought into this Christian walk and allowing God to work on that? Are you being sensitive to others as they are learning the same things? And are you leading? Will you do what you're told to do? Oh, I did. No, will you do it still? And will you set an example for someone else to follow? Who's following you? You can be sure that someone is watching you. And you either have an opportunity to set an example that they would follow and inspire them, like Philip did, or you can let the opportunity pass and think of the disappointment and the lack of action that might come about in that person's life. Because you know what? If they don't do anything, why should I? We all need to be learning and leading and leaning on this God who creates opportunities untold before us and asks us to respond. He's a God of promise, and he's at work. And he wants you to join him. Let's pray that we do that just that much more this week. Thank you for the practical nature of this word that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would be working in each of our hearts. Because none of us can know what you want to do in everyone else's life. But as we seek your face, we can certainly know what you want us to do. Would you help us be obedient to that? To seek you and 
lean on you and ask you to open our eyes to the opportunities before us and then give us the courage and the grace to obey what you tell us to do. To lead by example. To show people what it is to move beyond themselves into all that you offer for those that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.